This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash PCPer and enter code PCPer. Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 440, being recorded on March 8th, 2017. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malentano. Uh, second time's a charm, what can I say? Yep. Uh, so welcome to the show, everybody. It has been um, an incredibly interesting week. Mm-hmm. Ryzen was released. We actually... I think our post edit worked out pretty well on the podcast. I think it went pretty well, Alex. Yeah. So we don't. We're not going to talk about our full review of Ryzen and all that, but we have a lot of fallout from Ryzen that we're going to discuss. Um, uh, first of all, let's point out we are recording this. We do uh, broadcast live for our recording at pcper.com/live on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, at pcpro.com slash live. Uh, if you uh, aren't good at setting your own schedule and you need alarm clocks and reminders, you can go to pcpro.com slash subscribe. You get this page here that asks for your name and your email address, and we will send you a notification an hour, 40 minutes, whatever it happens to be, uh, before the live stream begins. Sometimes it's five minutes before. Sometimes it's five minutes after. I'm going to be realistic with you. But the, the point is we will let you know uh, when it occurs. So sign up there, pcpro.com slash subscribe. And it's not just for the podcast, but any other live streams that we may or may not be doing, uh, which I will discuss um, momentarily. Uh, also, of course, we have our still running Patreon campaign. That is at patreon.com slash pcpro. This is your capability uh, to directly contribute to PC Perspective, uh, to the guys that, that write it and put it together and, I don't know, do this dumb show for you, uh, as well as all the content on the website. If you go here, this is your capability to kind of directly monthly contribute to uh, what we do. If you you know feel like we do good stuff, you run ad blockers or you don't, um, you know this this is your way of kind of feedback. And we greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate all of you uh, that are supporting us through that matter. And of course, if you increase your uh, uh, contribution and or become a new patron during the live stream, I will read your names uh, on the show. Uh, as such, in a in a in a moaning voice filled with enthusiasm and passion. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Why uh, uh, Cialis for Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> see, that would have been that would have been a good one. Instead, if you could see what I'm seeing, you'd know these guys need the money. Just edited their pledge. <laughs> there's only one. There's only a couple of guys that can really be this one. I think I think they're in the room. Is it was it you? Did you edit your pay- Patreon? No, I did not edit my Patreon. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, I don't. I guess I'll take it in good in a good joke. I did put up an air freshener near his side of the uh, office, so you know, all in jest and good fun. Um, uh, so that that's the first one we got. And also, uh, I do want to make sure everybody remembers or knows if you're watching this live or if you're listening after the fact. If you listen to it early enough, we are having a live stream, another live stream tomorrow afternoon. Um, to discuss the GeForce GTX 1080 Ti. Reviews will go up tomorrow. It will go on sale the day after. Um, we are going to have Tom Peterson in the office here replacing Alan, thank goodness, uh, <laughs> at the table. 
And we're going to talk about the 1080 Ti. We're going to talk about its performance and, and its pricing and why they decided to do the pricing the way they did. And, you know, we'll ask questions that he'll probably slide around and not accurately answer like, oh, is it because of an AMD Vega that you did this and those types of things. Well, wouldn't that be interesting if that's the way it was, yeah. Brian? Yeah, wouldn't it be? That would uh, be a great idea. Uh, and also we're going to talk about FCAT VR. So uh, the VR performance analysis tools that will be – that they announced last week with the 1080 Ti um, that we've been using for a while. We're going to go over some some details of what that is, how it works, and why we think it's important. And I think it's – more people are going to be interested in that than the previous FCAT revisions because you can actually run this at home, right? You can just yeah. – you can just you don't have to have capture hardware to use this. You can actually just run this in software only and get yep. really really interesting data out of it uh, that you can't get. And the software capture way. works in such a way that it does not interfere with your frame rates or your whatever. It's not a GPU load thing. It just it's capturing metadata. Yeah, right? it's capturing so, data from either the Steam VR API, or the Oculus API, yep. just depending on obviously what what platform you're using there. In so, other words, it doesn't give you lower results just because you're trying to watch it. No, I, yeah. I, there may be. It's going to be some impact, but it's going to be a percent or less yeah. in that regard. Uh, that is so. That's tomorrow on Thursday, Thursday, March 9th, Tomorrow, if you're listening to this uh, as we record it, um, at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And again, if you sign up for that email subscribe list at pcproducom/slash/subscribe. We'll send you the notification. Uh, people that were already on that list got an email earlier today kind of telling them about the announcement. Uh, and also, I guess very important is we are going to give away a GeForce GTX 1080 Ti on the live stream as well. So you want to tune in for that. Even if you feel like you know everything there is to know about graphics hardware, uh, don't be a dummy. Uh, new video cards are yummy. Did that work? Mm. That was real close. Mm. You tried hard. I, I, I didn't realize Bring I was trying mix. to rhyme until the very end, but yeah, we get what we can do. It showed. And Tom Peterson's <laughs> fun to have on. Uh, on the show, so usually he says some dumb crap. But that bo, I tell you, that guy like showers once a week, whether he likes it or not. Luckily for people who are only watching the live stream, we don't have, uh, we haven't integrated any we- smelling technology. I don't know. So let's get into the actual stuff that happened this week. Like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we're not going to about the Ryzen review, the 1800X review I posted. I'm still finishing my uh, Ryzen 7 1700 and 1700X review itself. But I did post a short editorial today, kind of on a whim, where uh, I started looking at some of the overclocking results I got with the R- Ryzen. I keep kind of trying to call it the R7 1700. And the R7 is the Radeon line. Yep. Ryzen 7 is the CPU line. Not confusing at all. Uh, but I, I did some overclocking testing on it, and I just thought it was so interesting that I wanted to push something out a little bit quicker. So I wrote this story on, on, on the Ryzen 7 1700, um, the subtitle being The Real Winner, question mark, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, how we, that's, how we te- that's how we bring you into the story, right? I don't know. Is, he, is it The Real Winner? Is it? I need to know. I need to find out. Uh, so essentially what, what I did here was we were, I was testing it, and uh, on the Asus Crosshair 6 Hero motherboard, uh, there's, a, there's a preset actually in here. You can see these here. And their overclocking presets, they have four options. They have a gamer's OC profile. I don't know what that does necessarily. Uh, a load, the 141 megahertz base clock profile, load a 4 gigahertz OC profile, and a 3600 megahertz DRAM OC profile. And these are just kind of like Asus created uh, uh, defaults or automated specs where they go, hey, they've tested a ton of processors. Here's where they think if you want to get 4 gigahertz easily, just enable this. They change voltages and clocks and all the settings necessary to make it happen. Yep. Now, to be very clear, 
this is kind of like the lazy man's way out of doing things, <laughs> clearly and without a doubt, right? But I just saw it here, and I thought, well, the Ryzen 7 1700 is interesting because of a couple of things. One, it's the lowest price of the three parts they released. Two, it is the lowest TDP of the parts they released. The other mm-hmm. two parts are 95 watts. This one is uh, 65 watts. Um, it, uh, other than that, like it's still 8 core, 16 threads. It still has the same PCI Express uh, configurations and interfaces and all that type of stuff. The and, X, and I, I think because of all of that is how they can get away with having just a generic, here's your one-click overclocking profile because it's not yeah. like there's a, bu- a big range of different hardware that mm-hmm. they have to support for, yes. know, for this thing. Three, right? three parts, right? Uh, and, and I think, Josh, you can, you can add some input to this. If, if you were guessing, based on you know, the Global Foundry's process and what we know about the CPUs and how we, we seem to have hit like overclocking limits that are pretty much static across all three SKUs, there's not a lot of difference in these chips out of the door you know, individually, right? It's not the, 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 the uh, what, how would it's I say? not like the there's breadth, a different number the, of the thermal sensors of on one versus another. No, or, but like, but what I mean is know. like, they're all kind of like, they all kind of come out the same. Either yeah. they're working or they're not. There's not like some big variance where, oh, well, this one bend down poorly, so we're going to make it a Ryzen 7 1700 instead of a 1800X. And it won't overclock as well or something. Yeah. Right. But that's not the case because they seem to be overclocking. Do you, do you think that's the case, Josh, that that's something that would be... I mean, there's 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 going to be differences. <clears throat> there's going to be differences between dyes and their overall you know, wattage and, and TDPs and, and how high they can clock. But AMD has done a ton in, in the actual design to offset some of these limitations, and especially in terms of power consumption and heat production, by really dramatically turning it on and off uh, portions of the chip. Uh, they, they've, they've got all those sensors throughout, uh, pretty unique power regulation throughout. Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, the limitation that they're hitting is is the 14 nanometer process. It's just, I think it's just kind of at the max. As we've yeah. gone down from you know 45 to 32 to 28, uh, Intel was able to get to 22, People who have owned Intel processors from like Sandy Bridge, which is a 32 nanometer process, then going down to 28 have always said, hey, our overclocking headroom has dropped down significantly. Mm-hmm. And even with this latest generation of stuff, what people are getting five gigahertz on a second generation 14 nanometer process from Intel, who, even though they've had their issues, really is still leading the leading the industry in manufacturing technology. I know there's uh, that guy we've been talking to from uh, the Molly Fool yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. And he's he's pretty down on Intel manufacturing, but I disagree with, with him in that Intel still has the gold standard in sub-20 nanometer uh, technology. I mean, their 14 nanometer second-generation process is really good. That they can get a, a 7700K which is still a, a pretty decent-sized chip because it's got a GPU in, inside there. Uh, they clock that to 4.2 to 4.5. People overclock that to 5 gigahertz. And we haven't seen a whole lot of 5 gigahertz since these 32 nanometer Sandy Bridge parts. And so I think that Intel has that going on. But Global Foundries and Samsung, uh, they've been going with 14 nanometer for the last two years. They've been developing, trying to get going. Mm-hmm. And finally, they have a product at Global Foundries that AMD can rely on, get uh, 
significantly better yields than than possibly they've been expecting. Uh, but yeah, they I, I think they're just hitting some hard limits in in transistor switching performance and power consumption at at certain speeds because you can look at your power graphs. I can't. Uh, things are really nice and efficient at the you know three point two to three point six. <laughs> yeah, get up to four gigahertz. Things start getting up there, but they do. When you start That's, doing manually uh, overclocking and get above that, it just skyrockets. Yep, and it, that really tells us that it, it may be more the manufacturing uh, limitations of of this process rather than the design of what AMD sure. has done, because they can apply that 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 power and uh, you know clocking up and down stuff a lot. And if you had a process that could support higher speeds, it 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 would be. I'm, I'm trying to think of the exact word. It, I mean, they, they, those things would work hand in hand to provide higher speeds. And so I think that we're hitting a hard wall mm-hmm. on air and water cooling of, you know, the 4.2 to 4.5 gigahertz on these chips. And to me, that that just kind of screams, this is what their process technology can do. And I'm not sure we can expect a whole lot better. So. Yeah, and you kind of you, you told a lot of what the story in the in the article actually is. So I will say first of all, like setting the four gigahertz thing did just kind of work out of the box. So um, c- you know, congrats to ASUS for that. Uh, and this is the cooler we're using. We're using uh, uh, the Noctua U12S cooler with the industrial fan on it, not the stock fan on it. So it does have a higher like a fifty RP five hundred RPM higher. Uh, maximum speed on it but this is what we were using from the initial ryzen review as well um so i was running at four gigahertz at a maximum the highest voltage i saw was 1.482 volts which is really high yeah um, now when we went when we went to the amd tech day and they talked about ryzen they did say something about you know hey 1.4 1.45 volts is kind of like where we see things being safe and considerate so if they're saying that you know asus isn't going to set this you know, if they think they're going to fry components on a board. Right. Um, and it does vary based on the load because we saw it down as low as 1.417 volts in some cases. Yeah. But now, man, it's interesting. But man, it, does that power go up? Yeah, the power draw <laughs> goes way up. One, one thing that's interesting that I still haven't quite nailed down is like the temperature monitoring. Um, 73C under a full load for an extended period of time is where this CPU kind of sat. Um, you know, Sebastian was talking about, hey, if you're using that industrial fan on that Noctua cooler, he he believes that it seems to make sense, uh, which is good because I wasn't sure I believed that the case because when you when you clock those uh, Cabby Lake processors up to five five point one gigahertz, you need a two forty rad cooler to keep that under eighty ninety C. Okay, right. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised it would be this low. Also kind of surprising is that the idle temperatures that all of the software I've used, whether it be in the UEFI, the BIOS itself, or through ADA64, are all reporting fairly high idle temperatures of like 40, 45C. Hmm. Um, so in my mind, there's still a question mark on how valid any of this data actually is. Yeah, because the idle power draw is really low. The idle power draw these. is really low. So the temperature the should not seems be sitting. High. Yeah. And then the the load power draw OC is really high, yeah. But the temp seems really low, yeah. So I again something fishy. I mean, they could just be now realize you're you're doing CPU reported temperatures, right? Correct. So it's probably just down to a matter of where their thermocouple is versus where Intel puts theirs. If I were to guess, it's more it's not location; it's more on the algorithm of the output. 
Oh, like right, like okay. what the the out like the processor is not sending out. I'm um, at 73 degrees. It's sending out some right. some number, some data point that needs to be translated right. So maybe by the, the software, by the BIOS. Maybe the translation is not. That's just a at guess this at this point. Still yeah. a guess. Um, so I did some uh, some performance testing. If you look at this graph here, so this is Cinebench uh, R15, the single threaded version. The green line here is the R7 1700 overclocked. So you can see it matches the perf of the 1800X. Uh, but it's still uh, behind all of the Cabby Lake Skylake parts in single threaded. Uh, but it does it does boost it from 141 to 160. That's a, a sizable increase in perf, and it does actually take it above the 6950, 6900k processors, the, yeah. the Broadwell and single threaded. But in multi threaded, it's even more impressive, right? Because um, the 1800x at stock settings, the highest end Ryzen at stock settings, is only running at 3.7 with all cores loaded. Uh, and it's running this this part, you know, overclocked is at four gigahertz. Yeah. Um, so it, it exceeds the 1800x scores, and it actually beats everything else except the 10 core part uh, from Intel down there, and it's really close to doing so. Uh, handbrake, you can see this is a lower is better. It's actually the fastest performer of any part in this in this test. Cool. Um, and Audacity here's a single threaded workload where lower scores are better, and it it is the best Ryzen part, but it is the worst. Uh, it is worse than all of the Intel scores on there. So again, single threaded performance, it's better when it's overclocked to 4 gigahertz, but it's not enough of an overclock on a single thread to really make up for some of these deltas we're seeing. Uh, and then in gaming, because obviously 1080p gaming is, is the big discussion point that people have had over the last week, uh, you can see these green lines here represent the overclocked version. And it's, you know, it jumps from 59 frames per second to 66 in Civ 6, uh, and it does make it the fastest of the Ryzen parts, but... Again, behind pretty much everything else, uh, like the 7700K in that regard. You know, if you look at Rise of the Tomb Raider, it increases quite a bit. It goes from 93 to 105 with the yeah. overclock. But it's still... But it's still slow compared to the Intel parts. And the same thing here uh, with Hitman um, in terms of the performance differences you get. And then we were talking about power consumption. And here it is mm-hmm. uh, in graph form. So here's where it's interesting. The 1700 stock system power draw, 108 watts. Uh, overclocked system power draw, 214 <laughs> watts. That's 106 watts difference. That's yeah. literally the processor is drawing 106 watts more power. Considering it's a 65-watt TDP part that's, that's, period, we're wow. probably drawing 165 watts through it, just guessing. And you're not popping anything. right? And yeah, and everything's working. Everything's fine. working. Um, it's it's kind of like going from degrees. the 8350... To yeah. the ninety-five ninety. Yeah, that was a huge spike. Yeah, that was monstrous. Yeah. power. And note the idols are great. Yeah. Even even for the overclocked, like yeah, that's that's yeah. And you would, and so, you would think that sometimes when you do overclocks on a system, you end up just having the voltage high all the time, and it ends up giving you like excessive power draw. There's even at all idle, kinds of interesting right? questions to have about this because like we've learned that AMD has this trick where it well they can shut down parts missed, of their it, well no it misreports on purpose the speed to the operating system oh, sometimes so that yeah. it can control the clock speeds yeah. and power uh, in the background yep. right so it can pull it back further than Did they steal that from BMW? <laughs> so they're they're trying to pull what Intel does with speed shift. Oh no shift. no VW. Yeah yeah. They're they're trying to do what Intel does with speed shift kind of but Intel was able to build it into the operating system so that the operating system willingly handed over control to the processor. Yep. AMD hadn't 
hasn't integrated that yet if they are right if they plan to right so they're kind of like running around it and trying to figure out a way to do it so i think that's how you get to like the low power draw uh even at a four gigahertz what is being reported as a four gigahertz static uh clock speed yeah um i mean even if they do fix that let me pause it go ahead alan even if they do fix it in the future the only thing you're really going to get out of it is just your if you look it up if you look at the CPU speed in Task Manager or whatever, it'll just show at well, a, more, it will more a more accurate speed that it's Correct. actually going, right? Correct. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. Let me posit this. Overclocking is going to become less and less important over the years because the CPU guys have got tighter and tighter control over all areas of the CPU. I mean, they're going to maximize that power and, and will minimize the power and maximize clock speed as much as possible with the transistor budget. And so, like we've seen already, overclocking, since 45 nanometers on down, has become less and less productive. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Or, I mean, so some of that is like, I know like Intel's design margin for like their CPUs and their stuff. Like they're, they're assuming it's the worst case case full of dust fan is caked full of junk right so like in the future yeah it could get a lot more smart as as far as like regulating itself and compensating for the temperature going up or down Mm -hmm. so in the end you would get this ideal scenario where it would eventually hit a point like where the better cooling you put on it the faster it goes that's what they claim with xfr right 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 but it's not really true But like that's that's where it could that's where it could go (laughs) as as all of this stuff gets better and better about like riding the margin Mm -hmm. right as opposed to just having a a dumb ragged edge if you will (laughs) as opposed to the margin just having to be the same margin for like to compensate for really bad cooling right this is exactly what nvidia's gpu boost does yeah right it's it's not a huge variance from part to part but there is variance part to part and cooling to cooling right and if and if you're in a well ventilated case your average clock speeds are higher i think a lot of cpu companies are avoiding that currently still they don't want to get into that question mark of why does one part perform better than another you know and and businesses that are buying these parts are going to be concerned about that which is a valid which is a valid argument you would say just intel is doing that now because amd is clearly going more along the gpu route right well with xfr Somewhat. They said they were going to, but they didn't. It behaves oh. exactly like Intel's Turbo does. Like there's the the XFR stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is kind of just okay. smoke and mirrors, right? the 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 goal was there, and and we have a story on it that Tim wrote as well. Um, the goal is there, and they have the flex. Maybe in the next generation or in another revision, they can implement things in a little bit differently. Yeah. But it, at the outset, it's a little odd. I would also say that um, for this particular case, AMD kind of had to take away any headroom that their processors had in order to get to a performance level where they were competitive with Intel on single thread and even remotely close. Yeah. Right. So a lot of that is, is probably why, um, you know, we're seeing these like, Hey, the, the, the Ryzen 1800 X has a, has a max turbo of 18 of four gigahertz. And a lot of people can't even overclock past four gigahertz. Sure. Uh, and a lot of that is just AMD, to, AMD could harder. have said like, hey, you know, we're going to release a 3.2 to 3.6 part, like I think was the original plan. Mm. Um, and now we have a 400 megahertz overclock. That's way more interesting and, and exciting to talk about right. than a zero megahertz overclock, even though it's technically an overclock because all cores are running instead of one. But, you know, Intel has the uh, 7700K that has a max servo of 4.5, but you can push it to 5.0 pretty easily. The whole if, thing if they 5-0. wanted to, they yeah. could have released like a four five to five zero part and had no headroom, 
right? I don't see Intel ever doing that. Uh, you never know. If there's pressure, you could. I guess. But but yeah. In the end, uh, but the I'm, end- I'm, yeah, I'm I'm seriously stunned that AMD got to 3.6 to 4.0. I, I mean, think it's you're not the only one. A brand new yeah. design. Yeah, it is very impressive. It's essentially, for what it is, right? Like it's- a brand new process technology that they're running on. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, the last. Uh, I mean, Nvidia when they did that with the GTX 480, how well did that go? Not great. Yeah. Now, a- now AMD would AMD would even kind of self would argue is like, hey, this is not our first part on their 14 nanometer process. Like it's the first Zen architecture first on C- it, CPU, right? But like, they've they've released GPUs on it. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, so they've had some practice. And, and do they do any of the APUs any of their uh, like their not yet? In, no, I don't think they did a 14 nanometer. The semi custom stuff's not on there either. I mean, no. I mean, if, if, no, there's, all, if there was, okay, it's a little more practice. nanometer stuff. Okay. So, but in the end, like, it's, the the point of the story was, hey, if you're going to buy a Zen processor, if you want to buy a Ryzen processor, like, save $170, mm-hmm. get the R7-1700, overclock it to 3.8 if you don't want the power to be that high, or 3.9, or push it all the way to 4, or maybe you can get 4.1 out of it. Um, save $170 because it seems and like... buy yourself a nice NVMe drive. Yeah. Like, it seems like right. all yeah. the parts are behaving identically. Yep. Uh, and there's no feature difference between them. So just kind of go for it. I don't yeah. know. It, it doesn't change, like, the gaming concerns, but uh, it does make it a more cost-effective, you know, potential solution, I guess, that I way. mean, it. But I guess it helps the gaming a little bit, but... I mean, it does, yeah. but it doesn't, doesn't fundamentally change yeah. anything. I'm still surprised that they playing. are as close as they are to Intel, just generally. The little odd gaming issues aside, like that's it's not. A, it's not. A, I would. I would. Give, call, given, I would. I would. It's not a little gaming issue. Well, probably. A, okay. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a we're not issue, sure yet. We're still like, figuring things out, but it, it's it has the potential to be more important than a lot of right. people want to say. But still, even but. compared to AMD's previous CPU. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's a huge. They jump. still did. It, yeah. No, they did a fantastic job. It's yeah. way better than it was. Absolutely. Um, a couple other quick items. Uh, Logitech G533 wireless 7.1 surround gaming headset review. Uh, this is Sebastian. Obviously, Sebastian posted this up. You can tell just from the photos, really, when it's a Sebastian article. Look, he's yeah. even got one of those. Uh, it's like that's like the mannequin heads. You know, Ooh, you see, even, see, like the little plastic thing there. It's, it's just, nice. Oh, yeah. It's uh, you know, he does he does it he does it right he does it right. Um, so this is their um. Slightly more budget wireless gaming headset. It's it's got less, excuse me, less bells and whistles. It doesn't have all the RGB flashing lights and capabilities and that stuff. Uh, this is a hundred forty nine dollar headset, so you're looking at fifty dollars less, twenty five percent less than the G nine thirty three, which was the previous um, kind of their flagship wireless headset. Uh, it's a little bit lighter, you know, half of an ounce lighter, that type of things. Uh, but it is using the Pro G uh, headphone driver. It seems to have pretty good specifications, uh, and um, the microphone is a little bit different this time. I don't think it has. No, it still does have the extension and kind of the flex. It doesn't fold in as discreetly as the previous design, but it does do pretty well. Uh, Sebastian noted here that it had um, the sound quality was actually really really good because it was using the same drivers as the Artemis Spectrums, which are the G633 and 933 units. So that's a good thing. Um, excellent wireless range, long battery life, solid build quality, build quality, sorry, with no, but a no frills design, no RGB, 
uh, which I know will disappoint Alan tremendously. Um, I'm kind of like a purist when it comes to like just you know headphones, yeah, just like earbuds or a, yeah. and a headset, right? I just I don't need flashy no, color. You, you like RGB? Admit it. No, no. <laughs> You're an RGB prostitute. I'm still oh, on that AKG ow. like uh, radio Howard Cosell headset at the house. Yeah. So. So I, I like some of the things they've done with these uh, headset microphones. Like they they have flexible ends on them. Um, they they mute when you flip them up. Uh, you know, none of these things are ex- are exceptionally new necessarily. Yeah, that feature's been in a lot of their uh, volume things, rocker right? head on the on the headset itself, as opposed to inline on the cable. I actually prefer it that way. Um, he did say Sebastian doesn't think they're pretty comfortable uh, to wear as well. And like I said, sound quality is good, and that's really you know the primary thing. And audio quality also being. Uh, good and the and the the Logitech gaming software, even though they have continued to add new features and new products into it, um, continues to be a really good piece of software. Like almost surprisingly so, when you get companies that are this size putting in this quantity of things into software, they tend to turn bad. Uh, and this doesn't seem to be the case. So, Sebastian gave a gold award um, between excellent sound, outstanding wireless range, long battery life, superior construction. The G533 are an easy recommendation for PC users looking for wireless gaming headset. Um, so apparently the only problem was is that the G933 Artemis Spectrum is like currently selling for 135 uh, as at least it was at the time of publication as a sale price. Uh, I'm going to click this and see where we're at now. 135 still. So mm-hmm. that puts it less wow. than the 533, which is interesting. Um, I would probably get... The 933s, well, it depends on if you want something a little bit more understated. I mean, these clearly have a very <laughs> different look and style than the G533. Yep. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind as you, as you shop around, I guess. Uh, what else we have? Uh, Lee posted a review of... So, Rio Toro. Who's, who knows Rio Toro? Yeah. I've heard of them, but not very often. So, Rio Toro is a new company... Um, that uh, had a Sebastian did a case review for them already and got pretty good results. And Lee is doing uh, a power supply review, and it's uh, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's it's their first run at things. Uh, it's in, this is the 850 watt uh, unit. the The brand is the Rio Toro Enigma. Um, so I don't know if there's anything any decoding you have to do to really get inside the power supply. I don't think so. Uh, 850, 750, 650 models, uh, 80 plus gold, uh, semi-modular, which is probably one of the one like the comments on the story kind of hit on that a little bit that it was a little disappointing to see a semi semi-modular power supply. Although again, but as the, we keep explaining, that also adds about ten foot to the cable. Wait, what? Huh? The, the yeah, electrical connection from plugging resistance. It in adds. Oh, oh, significantly oh. more resistance. It's like adding almost. It's 10 like feet of adding ten feet of cable. It's okay. I was so, like, wait a minute, really? Okay, it's amazing. You know, if, exactly. if you're really that And you and honestly, it, it doesn't you know, make sense electronically. It, it it does make cable routing more difficult uh, from time to time. But no, the ATX connector, the PCIe connector, the eight pin CPU connector. You're always going to need those. They don't need to be removable. Uh, but exactly. I do see the complaint that maybe cable routing is a little bit less ideal uh, because of it. So um, I'm not going to step through everything here. He, he'll talk about who he talks about who the OEM is and and what the uh, efficiencies are and the the power cap- capabilities of it. Um, 
Mm-hmm. The Corsair CS850M. That's what it's based on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting, based on who I know is working at the company, that it's based on a Corsair power supply. <laughs> not surprising. Um, $119 is going to be the MSRP. Not too bad for the 850-watt model. Very good voltage reg. It's on sale for 109 There you go. Mm. Good efficiency. Yeah. 140 mil fan is very quiet. Weaknesses is that uh, Lee thinks the introductory price seems high compared to the competition. Uh, but as Josh mentioned, it's already uh, on sale pricing. Uh, a few additional cables and connectors would be nice at this power level. Agreed. And the 85C primary caps and sleeve bearing fans were a drawback as well. Still a silver award um, from Lee on this one. So if you're looking for another power spy, hey, 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 how about another option for you? There are plenty of power supply supplies. Options. Everybody has to have one. Well, I mean, I need more. Every computer has <laughs> to have one. Mm-hmm. At least, maybe two. Sometimes, Win. sometimes. All right, everybody, let's take a quick uh, moment here to thank today's podcast sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Casper. Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. Uh, they are revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings on to the, uh, to the consumers. This is this is what the internet has enabled for us: mattresses through the mail. Everything through. I get my dog food in the mail. I shipped yep. my mattress. You're damn you straight, get, I'm going to get my listen, mattress through the mail. You lately <laughs> get your ice cream. Ship my pants. I do, in fact, get ice cream through the mail. They don't. Yeah, not. Yeah. What? Well, it's now you're reminding me that there's a half of a pint in the freezer. Yeah. Um, I want it. That you got um, in the mail. <laughs> uh, speaking of mattresses <laughs> in the mail, Casper uh, mattresses are obsessively engineered at a very fi- fair price. Um, they are made of supportive memory foams uh, for a sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, it's breathable design. Sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. The, uh, I have a Casper mattress. We actually we got one in. Uh, it's been a while now. We've we've been using it for a while. It is in those magical uh, boxes where it's all kind of compressed and, and put together and you open it up. Well, take it to the room you're going to use it in and then you open it up and it expands and uh, it's like magic um, in that way. It is very dense and heavy but uh, compressible in that form. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy it easily online. Uh, completely risk-free. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress, uh, and this is the really the important part here: is they really they get the idea that mattress buying sucks, uh, and so they, in order to make it better, you need to actually use the mattress in your own environment with your own sleeping patterns and see if it makes an impact for you. That's why they give you a hundred-day period um, for uh, returns, right? So you, you get to use it for a hundred days, hundred nights. Um, so you don't have to go through that lying down on a mattress in a showroom for 30 seconds before purchasing a uh, process that you hate to go through. Uh, and did you know, this is always in the read the copy here, statistically speaking, lying on a bed in a showroom has no correlation to whether or not it's the right bed for you. So it's worth noting that. Uh, Casper mattresses are made in the USA, free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, and you can save an additional $50 toward a mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash pcper and enter the promo code pcper. That's casper.com slash pcper, promo code pcper. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper, for your support of the PC Perspective podcast. There you go. All right, let's get into some more news. The uh, the the news of this episode is going to be very AMD 
heavy again. Like I said, a lot of a lot of disgruntledness, not disgruntledness, a lot of controversy and discussion around the rise in parts. Uh, we talked about overclocking earlier. Um, the biggest kerfuffle that occurred is the um, 1080p gaming results on Ryzen. And basically, I would summarize it as the gaming results on Ryzen without, you know, putting 1080p at the middle of it. Um, in our test here, you can see one of them, Hitman and DirectX 12 at 1080p Ultra. You can see that the 1800X performs significantly lower than the 7700K uh, and well below all of the Broadwell E processors as well. And this was uh, uh, not something that just we saw in one game. We saw it in multiple games uh, and lots of other reviewers saw the same thing. Now, at first, there was criticism that, like, oh, why are you testing games at 1080p? Uh, we're not going to get into that debate, except to say that if you look at the Steam hardware survey, 43% of the people in that survey have a 1080p as their primary display monitor, mm-hmm. right? Primary display resolution, sorry. Uh, now, do people who buy $500 CPUs and buy higher-end GPUs skew towards higher resolutions? Yes, absolutely they would, uh, but... Uh, it's not going to be like 40% 25 by 14 or 4K, right? I think if you look at the main Steam results, I think it was like, what, point? It was less than a percent. Were 4K. 0.67% was 4K. Yeah. And then it was like less than 2% were yeah. 1440p. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why 1080p is still important. I, and I think it remains important, especially, you know, 1080p, 240 hertz monitors, those types of things are very important. Uh, AMD's uh, S- uh, CVP, which is Corporate Vice President of Marketing, sent me a, a, a note. That, you know, basically they, they admit to the res- – no, they're not admitting to anything. These are true results. They, they acknowledge the results at 1080p yep. um, and that this is not ideal for them. They would like it to be better. Uh, they talk about uh, working with developers uh, to kind of figure out ways to optimize these games for Ryzen CPUs. The claim being that um, games for the last decade have essentially been – run on Intel processors, developed on Intel processors, compiled on Intel processors. All the debugging and and perf work was done on Intel processors. And so just kind of de facto out of the gate, the result is a different architecture is going to behave differently and in in some cases behave poorly Mm -hmm. in in some of these applications. Uh, And there's truth to that. That makes sense, right? How different that could be, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, you know, they have statements in here from Oxide Games uh, who talked about, you know, uh, Oxide Games is the developer of the Nitrous Engine, which is behind the ashes of the Singularity game. Mm-hmm. They love cores. They love threads. So they talk about an 8-core, 16-thread Ryzen 7 CPU. Um, they're still working on those optimizations. That's not in the game yet. But that is – they are – they think that the benefit of 8 cores is going to substantially improve their gaming performance and capability. Um, there's also, you know, the argument that if you're running at a higher resolution, those uh, deficits are reduced or removed completely, right? Which may or may not be true, uh, depending on your GPU, right? If you have a brand new GeForce GTX 1080 Ti, for example, um, you're still going to have a pretty heavy CPU bottleneck, right? Like the GPU, if you have the fastest GPU you could possibly buy, then you're putting the emphasis on the CPU in mm-hmm. many instances, uh, even at 25 by 14. So... I, uh, you know, th- their response is expected, and actually, I would actually say better and more metered and controlled than I expected it to be. It would have been very easy for AMD to come out and just kind of say, 
this this is a, a demonstration of Intel stranglehold on the market and why we need to sell more processors so that developers have them and people see them and they and they they target that. Well, they're doing the big push with the developer like seeding of. They are. They're going to send systems to people, and and that's a benefit they have on the GPU side is they they know what has to be like. Like these developers aren't going to go out and buy these parts themselves to do this. Right. For the most part, some will. But well, they're not you, that expensive. You, you need to get in their face with the whole system and say, "Look, here, I built this for you. Please yeah. use it." Right, yeah. and that's what the GPU guys are used to doing on the uh, on the GPU side of AMD. Uh, and so, you know, be- having talked to developers, mm-hmm. they're incredibly cheap. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're working <clears throat> on corporate budgets, I, and even though you're working on a, a game developer, they don't want to spend a bunch of money on IT if they don't have to. Right? They're not yeah, going to upgrade your workstation like just Codemasters guy. Yeah. Uh, what a year and a half ago it's like have you tested this on any win 10 machines and like uh you know we've actually got one machine that's running win 10 and we're not really doing much with that now we're still doing <laughs> win 7 and it's yeah. like wow you should probably look into that yeah uh, it's gonna be free so you know a couple of questions that stem from this what what could it be architecturally that is limiting performance in this specific use case more so than what we see in single threaded performance in other benchmarks, right? Like we've seen the gap in Cinebench and it's like 8% or something like that. And it goes up to as much as, you know, 15, 15% in some places. Uh, but in games, it's worse than that leading us to believe that there's, there's other things at the mix. You know, there's, there, there are people that talk about SMT being one of the culprits. There are people talking about memory speed, being one of the culprits. Uh, what's the other stuff? Uh, a core a parking schedule someone from AMD to come in and talk about it. Yeah, that I would, would absolutely love to have it, but they, they, were, they wouldn't. There's no way they do that. Sorry, there's no way they do that before they had an answer, right? And even if they had an answer and they'd solved it, I don't know how open they would be about what the actual uh, fix would be. Uh, personally, I don't believe that there's. There, there are people that are like, oh, you know, give them a couple of months and they'll put in the right patches to Microsoft for Windows 10 and they'll, they'll get the right BIOS fixes to Asus and MSI and Gigabyte and poof, everything will be fine. And I do not believe that's the case. I think you can make improvements. Um, you know, I don't think disabling multi-threading should be one of the options. There's, no, not, there's yeah. no reason you should have to give up uh, multi-threaded performance so you could like not game at poor resolution or poor frame rates. Yeah. Um, but like if you disable SMT, if you uh, and, and you know disable core parking and increase your memory speed, maybe you get seven percent back. That's that's a good that's a good start, but it's not thirty percent, which is yeah. some of the differences we're seeing. It still doesn't explain these games. What's going on? You know, and we did. There's been a lot of talk about the the um, Windows scheduler and not mm-hmm. doing the things like you know. I went back and looked at our storage test results when I was doing that storage test, and the, yeah. my my logging shows the CPU use per core, right? And it sure looked like Windows was staggering its its load across yeah. you know every other thread to start with before sure. it before it had no choice but to load you, more should, things. Should should I go into what I think, or do you want to save that for yep. later? I don't know. You have a theory? Go for it, I guess. It's limitations in the Infinity Fabric. Oh. Plenty of tool so you've got, you've got two CCXs, two, two cores that individually are very fast. But then you've got them working on a lot of common threads and a lot of data coming through. Yeah. And then you're also feeding a GPU through that same Infinity Fabric 
that's running at DDR4 speeds. So if you got DDR4 2400, then it's actually running at 1200 megahertz. Okay. And when we, we, we don't have all the information about what Infinity Fabric does, but it seems like it's 32 bytes per clock. And um, when you start looking at how much bandwidth that is, it's about 32 gigabytes per. Well, I don't know. I think it's I can't. I think it's less. But I think it was 28. Uh, was what I read. You've got that much contention in between the CCXs talking to each other. You've got individual cores talking to each other, trying to look into L2 cache, see what's been evicted, see what's been changed. When you have all that in plus, uh, that handles memory accesses as well. So you've got DDR4 running at 2400, which is what, 12 gigabytes per second? No, no, it's more than that. It's like a theoretical maximum of what, 28? We're talking about DDR4 speeds? DDR4 speeds, yeah. 28 gigs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so when you start looking at all that, fabric is 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 getting stressed and uh, i think so, that you'll probably have some some information further in the next couple of weeks that will explore these things with memory speeds but, but you know until we know more about what infinity fabric does how it is set up and what the limitations are my guess is that that may just be pushed way past its limit and we're seeing some 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 negative results in in terms of frame rates and stuff that you're feeding a lot of data to the the GPU over a by sixteen yeah connection. So my 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 question would be, wouldn't the so would we expect the same deficits deficits to occur on GPU compute workloads? So something that's like OpenCL based, right? It depends on where the workload is stored. If it's on the GPU in the local memory, there it's not going to have an effect. But if it's a massive massive data set that exists not only in memory but in I.O., then you're going to see the the bottleneck there. there so I, you're assuming that the gaming data sets are not just stored on an 8-gigabyte GPU then? Correct. I mean, well, okay, look at in-game. You've got, you've got texture memory. You've got polygon stuff. You've mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. all of that going on, and you've got stuff streaming to the GPU all the time. New information, new data. And changes to what is on the local memory there. And so you're not just talking about, well, you've only got, you know, six gigs of texture memory. Why isn't that just on there? And you've got plenty of bandwidth in between the PCI and the local memory bus to do all this. Well, workloads don't really work that way. It's it's not as cut and dried. And as 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 games become more and more complex, both visually and in terms of physics, the data load is going to change across what buses that we have in effect. So depending I'll, I'll on be, how games are coded, you've got stuff that's going to be in main memory that will be streamed to the GPU memory and vice versa because people like more and interesting complex things in the games uh, that I, they play and that requires a lot of programming that way. If, I do, if I do it's have, the intermodule fabric that turns out to be an issue, that will be a problem for Things like Naples that yep. are 32-core processors that are talking about having, you know, 10 
GPUs connected for compute workloads and eight channels of memory, or no, well, yeah, eight channels of memory instead of two. Yeah, because arguably it, they would they would be shifting more to the GPU to do the like the workload. The GPU would be the bottleneck itself, but it's the fabric right. that you've got to get it across. Okay, well, in, sure. Okay, but, we we've we've got to we've got to differentiate here. In Naples, they've got an Infinity fabric that's running on the on the CPU, mm-hmm. but also in between the different CPUs. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have some contention there, but you're also multiplying the overall inner chip bandwidth with all of these. I mean, I think there's, what, four dies per Naples chip? So it's eight cores, uh, 16 threads, 32 cores, 64 threads on each Times Naples four. chip. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so you've, you've, you've got a larger Infinity Fabric overall in the chip sure that has the multiple modules and that's why you've got uh what um but the but the chip to chip communication is going to be slow channel memory modules is it is it possible that maybe it's not so much that it's slower but maybe that it's just not that nimble Meaning you what? see what it, I mean? It seems like, like it's, no, it's so workload dependent. So here's a, here's a data point that I have, actually. I went back and looked, and I, I didn't focus on it that much during the Ryzen review, the initial Ryzen review where I did that storage test, but the single-threaded IOPS uh, off of an NVMe SSD, because yet you needed an NVMe to at least go this high to see where there was a difference, um, my thread, uh, provided that the thread itself is the limit, like running at 3.5 gigahertz, which is what I did for that testing. Um, it capped out at around 200,000 IOPS. It had to hit a pretty high queue to do that. But like on Intel, it capped out at around 200,000. On AMD, it was like 110,000. It was like almost half the IOPS in the same exact test, lo- same exact workload, same exact everything else, mm-hmm. right? It was literally the same piece of software running on. a single thread, a single worker. A single worker, just doing a, like as many IOPS as it possibly depth. can yeah. at a high Q depth. I didn't make a big deal about it during the review because it was users are not running at Q depth 16 and 32 ever, right. pretty much, right? But it is something to note that it just, the performance did just kind of level off for, for just one worker thread, you know, hitting a device. So, and that's something where all it was doing was basically, you know, issuing an IO to the, to the SSD and then just waiting on the kernel to get back to, to basically interrupt the CPU to tell it, hey, your I.O. is done. So maybe it has something to do with interrupts combined with Infinity Fabric. Who knows, right? But it's, it's, it was a pretty significant difference, right? At the same clock speeds where everything else looked pretty much the same in all other situations, all of a sudden you had this one weird bottleneck scenario where it was almost half yeah. the performance. Interesting. We um, like data. We like data points. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hate it. I actually hate all data. <laughs> everything should be experience-based. Everything's a great processor. Uh, Everything's great. Is this your new site that you're starting up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's my new... Experience-based It's my new processor. YouTube channel. Um, if you stick at 60 hertz for everything, you're going to be happy with 30. this processor. You get a 4K 30 TV, you're fine. But yeah. run it at 1080p 30. Put a little yeah. dab of heat paste over here. And yeah. And just make a happy little tree. Look <laughs> at the processor. It runs lovely. Uh, all right, we've got to get through some more damn stories. Let's do this. Ryzen, uh, Tim wrote a really good article, uh, editorial, whatever, summation on AMD XFR. Um, this is something that I had misunderstood initially as well, that XFR as a technology was actually enabled on all Ryzen CPUs, but the XQs, the 1700X and the 1800X, apparently have a wider range. They get that extra 
100 megahertz boost. Josh, you, you any, anything that stands out from this other than kind of getting us back in line with what it actually did? No. No, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, you're, you're going to have variability in between dyes. So the dyes that are in the middle of the wafer that have the best optics that are, that are being focused on them uh, in, the, in lithography, um, you're going to have better chips. And that's just the way it works. And so when you have these X chips, they are going to show an improvement in TDPs and maximum clock speeds and how high they can go without kind of breaking the bank in terms of thermal envelopes. So these, you know, it, it, the variances seem to be smaller than they were in previous generations, but they're still going to be there. Yeah. And so 1800X is still going to be a better part overall than the 1700 overclocked. And you can see that in, in power consumption and overall performance. Um, well, I, hold on. Again, hold on, it's... I would say it could be a better chip overall, but uh, it the the likelihood basically it comes down to are they just like shipping as many chips as they possibly can, and actually the decisions are made more, more based on what they think the sell through is going to be. They they might have tons of chips that could be eighteen hundred X's that they sell seventeen hundreds or seventeen hundred X's because they're like, well, we need to make these parts yeah. too. Right, even though they would rather sell it at the higher price, then they know they're not going to sell that many five hundred dollar parts, but they might sell a ton of three hundred twenty nine dollar parts, and so that's why like only having three processors to like bin into, uh, in my mind, levels the playing field quite a bit between the options that are out there. Yeah, that's that is a pretty yeah. small sample size. Yes, and we won't know more until more people have these and are able to publish their their results, not just. Um, uh, you know, guys like Hard OCP and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Tech Report and those guys, but also people on forums that are very active. Oh, who yeah. Put out some really, really good stuff because, you know, they don't write for somebody, but but they have a you know a good scientific mind and mm-hmm. and a and a process that they can they can show these things. Until we get a lot more of those samples, we won't really know. And not only that, but to throw more <laughs> wrenches into the uh uh-huh. into the gears. Um we're going to see better improvements by AMD. If we look back eight months ago where they're at with Ryzen and what they can achieve in speeds and what they did now, that's pretty significant. And we're going to see incremental improvements, not just from the foundry side, but uh, small changes in, in metal layers and whatnot that AMD can do relatively quickly to help these things out. So it's as time goes on, we're going to see probably small improvements, and then we got to measure that out and figure out where the bottlenecks are. And it's it's all chaos theory because there's millions and millions of samples out there. Indeed, and billions and billions of transistors. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we get to our next story, I do want to point out here uh, we have some new Patreon contributions. Uh, Jason uh, Malvu- Malvuccio Vucio. added their. Okay, we'll say either way. Edit their pledge from three to four dollars. How do you say that? Vuccio, Malvuccio, Malvuccio. Yeah, it sounds Italian. There you go. That's better. Uh, <laughs> my erection has lasted longer than four hours, and now I'm conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> Just edited their pledge as well. Just go outside. Go outside to a place that is is highly populated, and just go around high fiving people. Hey! They won't know what for, but you'll well, know unless they look down. Happy. They might. Yeah. Uh, High five. 
between three and five just edited their pledge to four dollars. Ah, clever there. Uh, and Filippo Dinolfo is a new pledge at three ninety nine. So thank you, Filippo, for that. And uh, and then I got an email from somebody at Cyber Media Communications, which we don't really need to know about that. Um, all right, so let's run through the rest of these news stories a little bit quicker, guys. Biostar showed a uh, Mini ITX AM4 motherboard. But interestingly, it's based on the X370 chipset as opposed to what I thought was going to be the case, which is where Mini ITX motherboards were just going to use the processor's SOC and storage capabilities mm. instead. Yeah. I don't know. Jeremy, anything on this stand out as, as interesting to you? Other than the confusion on the chipset part, uh, not really. I mean, it's getting a little frustrating that there's been a lot of miscommunication about the, the chipsets and features and that. But one of the things that's nice to see is, hey, mini ITX systems hitting very, very soon, because I think a lot of people are going to sort of look towards uh, AMD's new things as generally overall. Powerful enough for what you need it to do, yeah. Small uh, and able to be cooled in a very reasonable manner. Mm-hmm. And a tiny mm-hmm. little system, going to make a great PVR, going to make a great uh, home theater system. So focusing, I, I honestly, I think focusing on tiny little motherboards uh, for the Ryzen makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the specs here. X370. Okay, uh, Why would they use an X370 with that loadout that they have? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like maybe there's it more USB like ports. B250 or B350. There is a B350, but there's supposed to be the X300, which is like an almost nothing chipset that depends on the SATA yeah, it's Essentially, and it's a physical layer chip that yeah. allows the yeah. CPU SOC to work. I mean, maybe it's just cheap enough where they could just hook it up and just not use all the pins and just say fine. I don't know, like, but if you look at the board design, like that chipset's right in the middle. Yeah. It takes up space. Sure. That you wouldn't have to take up otherwise. I, I just don't get it. I agree. Not fair. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. And it, it looks like it's got, what, four SATA ports on it? Like, it's not exceeding what the other product can no. do. I don't know. I don't know. We've got uh, a single M.2 as well. So, I mean. True. It's it's an interesting design. We gotta get our hands on it. And what, see how we, it goes. we we need to see more of these types of form factors in the AM. We want to see all of the options that exist for Intel to exist in the AMD. Competition will 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 drive us forward on that. Uh, we'd already talked about this a little bit, but real quick, Tim did another really good uh, kind of summation story on Naples, which is the Ryzen or not the Ryzen, the Zen based server platform due out in Q two. Um, that is 32 cores, 64 threads, eight memory channels, uh, a theoretical maximum of two terabytes of DDR4 memory. Although I don't think the modules exist yet. No, to get they us do to not. that capacity across eight uh, eight channels, eight channels, but that's potentially 16 slots. Yeah, to get to two terabytes. It's making it a lot easier. <laughs> uh, let's see. Using the 16 gigabyte DIMMs available today, it supports up to 256 gigabytes of DDR4 yeah. per socket. So we'd have to have 4x of that. So we'd have to have uh, 128 gig. No, wait. Is that right? 32. 16, 64. 32, 64, gig. 64 gig DIMMs yeah. before we can yeah. max it out. Yeah. They um, have existed in the past, just not in this generation of DDR. Yeah. So AMD talks a lot the about the amount the of I/O yeah, on, on this chip 
Sorry, the amount mm-hmm. of I/O in the, on each individual chip is pretty impressive. 128 lanes of, memory of PCIe. Bandwidth. What? 128 what? lanes of PCIe. Yeah. Yeah, and Earth we're not chip. even talking about the uh, the fa- the Infinity Fabric in between the chips. It's like Hyper Transport Plus well, is well, what they're they're kind of talking. You're about. talking about Infinity Fabric would go between the chips on the processor. Exactly. Okay. It is I, not the only sockets. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not only in the die with CCXs. Yes. It's in between the chips. So this is what they got from CMicro. Yeah, so the 128 is the external communication. If you're in a multi-socket system, you're using 64 lanes to talk to the other processor. No, it's it's supposedly Infinity Fabric, and that's different than PCIe. No, no, it's using. They were saying. I'm almost positive you're using PCIe lanes to talk like socket to socket. Okay, that 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 could be the case. But then that wouldn't leave any to talk to all the slots on the board. You have 128 lanes total from the processor. And you just if take it's a single socket one. system, you have access to 128 lanes. If mm. it's a two socket system, 64 from each communicate with each other, okay. and then you get 64 each for the rest of the system. I'm almost positive that's the case. That's still a lot for the rest of the system. Oh sure, it, and it 64 is, lanes of PCIe for CPU to CPU communication seems like a, a hefty amount as well. Yeah, but the other idea is that that's also how you'll be able to stack these uh, if they do do modular enables. So if you've got a bunch of them talking, mm-hmm. they should each be talking over Infinity Fabric because that, that's what CMicro originally sort of did this for. I still can't make myself not I, think Infinity ca- Fabric is BS. I can't do it. I, the name I, I is so awful. Well, you got to we see need Naples more information you can really because say one way it, or the is, other. it is. It's not sketchy, but it's limited. Well, and, yeah. and it's they, when I when we went to like uh, the tech day where they talked about uh, Vega, they talked about Infinity Fabric there, com, you know, meshing some of the parts of Vega GPU together. And they talked about and and they talked about like Infinity Fabric on this part over here, and then this part, and then oh, actually, we kind of started developing it with like Bobcat and those APUs, and it all sounded so different yeah and i was like it sounds to me like you just have these communication protocols on these different platforms and maybe one day you think you want to have them all coalesce into one thing but right now you're just going to be very vague about them and call them all infinity fabric well here's the problem what i feel probably correct pcie does not as far as i know spoke support coherency and that is absolutely crucial for inner cpu connections yeah uh yeah i I, I don't disagree but now i'm i mean you could you know everything's confusing because we don't have enough information about infinity fabric yeah yeah so the story on semi-accurate which despite the name Hmm. i know charlie um they so they do call it infinity fabric but uh, as you can see each socket is connected to the next via 64 pcie 3 lanes the Infinity Fabric tag is important too. That is the protocol AMD chips now speak, basically HyperTransport Plus. Um, okay. Gosh, it's almost like I said HyperTransport Plus. Yeah, earlier. yeah. But there's so he's yeah, saying that Infinity Fabric. It, they're just passing it via PCIe. They're they're, they're yes. using Infinity Fabric over PCIe. I mean, if, if so, you, either they they, they fundamentally work. change whatever you're talking about. You know, the coherency capabilities yeah. of it. So if it, you, mo- if you modify, it's all how they put together right, the packets. Right. If you get rid of like the retransmit thing and you just make it a dumb pipe, 
You can do anything with it. And, and yeah. yeah. And and I they could probably they could probably not have to well, they could probably not have to worry so much about the <laughs> they can literally do anything. They, they wouldn't have to worry so much about anything. the error correction because it's going to be two CPUs very close to each other. You're not worried about like how long the, the lanes are going. Yeah. If they're going to other devices on them. Like you, just, sure. you know, you're just going just a couple of inches to another CPU, right? So you can get away with uh, stripping away some of the other, uh, yeah. you know, PCIe protocol ish kind of stuff, and just make it sure. You know, yeah. it is both a particle and a wave. Uh, sure. So they they do use they're using sixty four of the one hundred twenty eight lanes of PCIe to make this happen, right? But okay. they're not using PCI Express protocol. You right. can't plug in an NVMe drive at the end of it and hope that it will work, right? You can take out take out the processor lines. out of the socket, jam in an NVMe drive. <laughs> Sebastian, paging sp- Sebastian, you know, can. wire up the pens so that they match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems reasonable to me. But. Well, you know, if you got another sixty four lanes, just put it hanging off of that. So fine. Let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, GDC was last week. Uh, this came out. I think this came out the day our podcast went live. The Oculus Rift Plus Touch Combo is now two hundred dollars less than it was before. It's actually pretty significant. You can get the Oculus Rift Plus the Touch Controllers for five ninety nine right now. Five ninety nine. As of Thank when you. this article was written last week, the Vive was still seven ninety nine. Yeah, and the Touch Controllers to buy them. Separately is a hundred bucks. Yeah, which I think is lower than it used to be. Because I think I paid one ninety nine for them initially, uh, and now they're ninety nine bucks. So you can get just the Rift by itself for four ninety nine, just the touch controllers for nine ninety nine if you already have the Rift. Yep. Um, so they took a hundred dollars off of each product, put it down into a bundle for five ninety eight. To me, that's competitive. Uh, that's great, right? They, they have they changed the price that. in the Vive? What's the Amazon? Click um, that link right there. Oh, I just clicked it because it's touchscreen. I don't think they have responded yet. Vive. I don't know uh, that they have to. Why is that not? Seven seventy-five still on Amazon. So they yeah. have. They have not. Okay. Uh, I will say but that's I ha- for the goggles, the room cameras, and yes. the controllers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and with yeah. the Rift, you get two cameras. Uh, you know, all the stuff you need. You get a con- you get an Xbox controller with the Rift. Does, does the current group of uh, the Rift come with a third camera? No. Third camera is totally separate. So even they don't even really recommend it. Oh, okay. It's it's more of a uh, what are they uh, like a in development you know beta feature to have the third camera behind you. you. But you could get away with just one camera in front and one camera behind, and it kind of sort of by no no. In order to set it up, you have two cameras set up. Kind of we can't. Can you see those on our desk? You can. They're just don't touch them. Don't move them. I had it all configured. I was just putting my hand in front. Oh, okay. There you go. We have these Oculus things set up for the live stream we're going to have with Tom tomorrow. Uh, and I was playing some of this Robo Recall, make sure it worked while sitting in that position. Um, and it worked really well. So you're you supposed can, to have them on the desk, kind of like at, at like three speaker, to six feet apart, speaker position. Three to six feet apart, centered on your display. Okay. Right now, I mean, you could really move them anywhere you want. Sure. Right. That's just what they recommend. And 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 so, but regardless of, of what it is, like two hundred dollar price drop is good. Trying to yeah. get more people into that into that medium. Uh, so if you've if you've been interested, the touch controllers make the Rift way closer to being like a five. Well, like the best choice. I I, I still oh. think I would pick if I could only pick one. I'd probably still pick the Vive. But Oculus has like a really good software strategy in terms of like, mm, what would you call it? Uh, what 
uh, you know, they, they're they're pushing more of development themselves, oh, right? Like they're okay. they're funding people to do development. They have some of these exclusive games. Um, although you know, they're, you they're can run in, you can run your Rift on Steam now. They're throwing too. more money at it. That's true. That's what you're Interestingly, if you buy a Rift with Oculus Touch, you can run it on Steam VR games. Oh, really? But you can't run Steam VR oh, games without hacking it and through using Revive. Revive to yeah. run on yeah. Rift games. Oh, so everything just maps over? Like I think just, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I might have to. It might be game to game, but most games I've seen have it. Huh. You can just look at the yeah, little revive. icons and the thing. Yeah, it was mostly game to game that. Okay. Still cool. Six hundred bucks instead of eight hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. Six hundred is still a lot. Don't get me wrong. Well, it's, um, but it's less money. It's less. By $200, by my math. Uh, YouTube is starting their own TV service for 35 bucks a month. Uh, and I in guess normal- YouTube Red really paid off, didn't it? I guess. And in normal Google fashion, we have no idea what it's going to be. <laughs> Just sign up. Give us your email address, please, and we'll, we'll tell you when it's ready. Uh, yeah, I did see a list of channels. It looked promising. But you didn't see them from Google. That was a side from Google. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, yeah. It, it, it's less channels than Sling TV. It's less channels than DirecTV now. Right. But it's most of the channels you care about. It's 35 bucks uh, per month. And then like their, five, their devices, five or here, six logins? Six logins. Yeah. Their stick will be that um, they're supposed to have the locals. That's why they yep. want to know your zip code. They yep. only want to bring people in when they have the locals. That's the biggest headache for all cord cutting at this point is can you get the local channels? Yep. That's why I had to buy a three-foot-by-three-foot antenna to put in my attic uh, for the cord-cutting project that I am planning to undertake. So, YouTube TV. You can just... What is that? YouTube.com slash... It's just TV.youtube.com. Yeah. Sure. Why not? should check that out if you guys are interested. Um, Even if you're not interested, you should go there, put your name in, and give your zip code. so Because the more demand they see, the more likely they are to have locals in all those places. Jeremy, what is your story here about the Wi-Fi market being murky, like the hi-fi market? I mean, if you look at this router, how can you not understand immediately that Wi-Fi is simpler than it's ever been? <laughs> Well, because it, it's got the antennas, so obviously it's perfect. Do you, right? Are you supposed to turn that upside down so it looks like a table? Uh, and then walk around to get a better signal for you? That, maybe, that's kind of what I thought. Maybe there'll be gold-plated antennas next. Hmm. But that was one I snagged from Sebastian's review. Okay. Where, where the poor guy tried to explain multi-user Mimo and just how much fun it was trying to benchmark that. Yeah. So... I highly I link to that one as well, and I highly suggest reading it because understanding Wi-Fi is a pain in the noggin. Mm-hmm. Like there is a lot going on, but ours decided to sort of delve into why it is that you know I've got a, a 2.4 gigahertz router and it's supposed to do a thousand megabits, and I'm getting like 480, and I'm very upset about it. And people are telling you, no, dude, that's that's probably what you're going to get because well, a lot yeah, of the testing they, is done. Because they add both bands together, first of all, yep. to come up with their rating. And so, you might yeah. be in a completely sealed Faraday cage with just the receiver and the router. And you might be less than five feet away from it with perfect line of sight. Yep. And th- there's 200 megs of overhead that just has to exist for TCP IP. Yep. I mean, yeah, it is definitely uh, a best case scenario that they're talking about so they, they try and explain just why it is that you know when you buy that fancy arse new router that claims all of these things on the front of the package 
why it's like buying a hi-fi stereo and not quite realizing the difference between the $10,000 one and the $300 one from 10 years ago. Mm. It's like getting the awesome. There are some differences, but it's like getting the awesome receiver, but your speakers are still crap. Yeah. So it's worth delving into. It's a couple of pages long. There is some, it it does take a bit of thought and it only scratches the surface of just Wi-Fi is, is a painful thing to try and test, let alone support. Yeah. 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 Worth reading though. If you're curious. Uh, Logitech introduced the G pro mechanical gaming keyboard. So this is a 10 keyless keyboard, uh, compact design. It has a, of course it has RGB lighting effects. Let's be realistic. Everybody short throw mechanical switches. Um, but it has a removable USB cord. It like looks one tiny. Unplugged hey, from the back. That looks familiar. Uh, so That's, it does look very familiar, like the G900 mouse. That is the same exact cord. It's the exact same interface. Although, I don't think the cables are interchangeable because the keyboard pulls a lot more power than the mouse. Oh, yeah. And so, so you're pushing it if you try to use the mouse cable. Yeah, you can use the keyboard one on the mouse, but don't use the mouse one on the keyboard. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Just a thought. Uh, Does that well, also one mean thing it's... I've always loved about Logitech is like their little wireless dongle. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that sticks like a millimeter out of the side of your did you lose all the time when you plug it in? Yeah, but you buy a new one and it works for everything. Mm-hmm. It, it literally doesn't care what Logitech device you're using; That's true. it'll plug into it. But wait, I like is, that about Logi. What is the point of this being detachable? So the point of it being detachable is for people who go to LAN parties, like. Basically, the wrapping the cable around oh, the keyboard kind okay. of puts stress on it. This way, you just disconnect okay. it, and you don't have to do that. It's, it's not like this is wireless, and you can run it without yeah. the, you know. It, there are some other interesting features in it as well, like uh, all the macros and settings are stored in the keyboard. So, like, if you take this for the computer or for, you know, professional gaming situations, you're not allowed to install software on the machine, but you can, you know, if it's stored on the hardware itself, you can use it. Right. So, if you bring in your own keyboard, plug it in. Then it has you know whatever your predefined uh, also very handy having recently done a reinstall with a Corsair RGB keyboard where you have to like figure out how to export all of the settings from their software that you had yeah and then figure out how to get it all back in when you do your reinstall yeah. like after you've done your reinstall yeah yeah it'd be nice for it just to all be in the keyboard and not have to worry about it I don't think ten keyless keyboards aren't for me because I do like accounting bullcrap all the time um, yeah. so. Yeah, you got to print out those checks. <laughs> Unfortunately, yours got lost this week. Sorry. I think, all, yeah, I think all, all of ours got lost this week. Yeah, it's been a rough week, everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, $129 is the MSRP uh, Logitech G Pro Mechanical Gaming Keyboard. So I think that's uh, shipping now. Now, now. Uh, we, we should have talked about this before. It's a VR. I don't have anything to say about this other than... Um, LG at GDC announced that they were going to have a a, uh, a VR headset competitor that works with Steam VR. Um, so it's a prototype. Uh, the tested guys, Adam Savage is tested. So uh, that group over there got some hands-on time with it with the prototype. You can see the controllers; they look very Vive-ish. Yeah, yeah, that too. One of them does. Um, so they say one change LG is proud of. This is a uh, Scott wrote this up, by the way, is the second app button. Apparently, the company found that developers like to assign buttons in pairs, such as a forward button to go along with the back. So they added a second app button, so like an app assignable uh, button to it. And all three are above the touchpad on it. Weight distribution is uh, slightly 
uh, adjusted compared to other controllers on the market. Um, unclear on when it will be shipping to market. Um, Tess had speculated it could happen sometime later this year, which would put it just before when we expect the HTC Vive 2, but we really don't know if that's a thing yet either. But hey, more we talked about lowering prices on the on the Rift. Mm-hmm. More competition will lower prices more, in theory, hopefully. So uh, bring it on, I say. All right, Jeremy, how do you summarize ARM's announcements today or Qualcomm's announcements today with the Centric 2400? It is the Centric. There's a system with a lot of hard drives in it here. Uh, yes, there is. And it may or may not be running Windows Server. But because the key that, here is it's a Quadro that, processor. Or, I'm sorry, not a Quadro. That, that well, was Qualcomm. It's an ARM V8. And it's obviously someone who's a fan of a certain novel because they named it the Falcor processor. (laughs) For better or worse, as it is. But uh, when I first saw this announcement, I was kind of excited because they specifically stated Intel is currently running uh, instances of Windows Server internally on Microsoft Azure. So they're doing it just internally. They're testing it out. But you said Intel, runs. but you didn't mean Intel. Or sorry, Microsoft. There you Intel. go. If Microsoft Intel was is running. actually running it. <laughs> yeah, that would be even more interesting. I'm sure they it? are for competitive reasons, but yeah. yeah. And maybe AMD could work on that as well. Because yeah. we've got some promises from them about this. But uh, no, it, it's just sort of impressive that Microsoft is saying that, yeah, um, we've got a version of Windows Server that will run on a body arm ser- uh, processor and it works. Cool. So that was really inciting. Called in uh, and uh, listened to Anand Shudereskavar, uh, who's obviously a very intelligent man, but wouldn't give any performance details whatsoever. Mm. So it's kind of hard to say how many of these you're going to need, but they submitted to the Open uh, Compute Project. So it's going to match the sort of the standards of the next generation of servers we're going to see come in which are piles and piles of low-power CPUs racked together, working together. Yeah. Uh, it's got uh, 32 lanes of PCIe 3.0, okay. which it's is good. pretty decent for an ARM processor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eight SATA ports, gigabit E Ethernet, uh, as well as a backup 50 gigabits. NVMe completely supported. They had one uh, of the prototypes with 20 NVMe drives in it. And still enough space for a PCI 16 uh, by slot left. Some of it's designed for uh, high performance computing, so it will work with your uh, new Pascal's, or the Fire Pros from AMD, Weird. or it, you can pop in your own uh, field programmable array. So it, it's kind of interesting to see this, and it's Qualcomm, so you know they're not one of these. There, there's been a Why lot of I? ARM processors that say. We're going to be running Windows Server in no time at all. Yeah. And none of them have made it to market. Qualcomm not, is not also – Qualcomm the, is, the, is, the, is the company that has announced they're going to have Snapdragon-based Windows 10 devices yep. as well. Yeah, right? and we've seen that running. So this is clearly it's, part of the same initiative between Qualcomm and Microsoft in that regard, yeah. I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, if you get the kernel running on one and, you know, server is just not that yeah. far away. So Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's more complicated, but – not fundamentally different. Yeah, not fundamentally different, yeah. no. no. So it, it's kind of exciting. 
until you realize you don't see any results whatsoever. We've got no benchmarks. I'm, sure. I'm going to take my eyes onto OPC tomorrow, or OCP rather, tomorrow, which is where they're announcing this. Wow, my connection is amazing. <laughs> uh, but, so we'll, we'll sort of see if they do anything during this yeah, major agree. announcement to see how it's going to be performing. But just the fact that they've pulled it off is kind of interesting and I, I'm kind of curious how Naples and uh, what Intel is going to be putting out uh, for low power in the server room is going to deal with the fact that, hey, ARM has actually pumped up their power enough to be able to do it. And yeah, the picture of that motherboard is pretty damn sweet. Uh, it's it's big enough you can read we can all read the components We can read the QR codes. <laughs> QDF 2400 reference evaluation platform. It's red. It is red. There's a PCIe slot. There's there's one. I'm looking for the uh, SATA controller, but it's it's, it's the, on the uh, SSC, right? thing on um, oh, the Marvel. Did you write down? Yeah. Right there. No. That, there you go. Oh, maybe not. Mm, no, the, the A speed. A little bit. No, that's the uh, that's the go over a little bit. This thing? There you go. The Marvel that might Marvel. be Marvel. That's not the Ethernet. Yeah, it's probably Marvel. Yeah, that could be it. And remember, these are SOCs, so you will it's find right more on that chip than you might expect. Yeah, yeah. Look at them dim slots. Look at the detail on that. Uh, Seven hundred and sixty-eight gigs max. It's a really if uh, you can find. It's a really damn good picture. <laughs> it is. It is a quality photo. <laughs> yeah. uh, I- so IRC if you're is interested, asking- I highly suggest looking at it. Go that's, ahead, Alex. Uh, IRC is asking, does it come with RGB? Oh. Oh, yeah, I don't mm. think so. The RGB lighting would have to be. It comes with green. It would have to be Only outside. green on the front. <laughs> green blinks on, green blinks yes. off. That's pretty RGB-ish. That's just G. G lighting. <clears throat> All right, what else? We, oh, wait. Oh, too, too quick. Uh, that's it for uh, the shows. We've got our hardware software picks of the week. <clears throat> going up this week and oh, here i guess i'll just go ahead and show what mine was uh mine is the nintendo switch we i was talking about this a little bit before we started recording the show uh people were asking about whether or not i liked it like don't get me wrong it's 300 bucks that's expensive mm-hmm. uh zelda 60 dollars, and it's the only game really so how much did that game cost you 360 dollars. yeah uh but it's really good i don't know i can show it on here and it kind of you know you know you can see it right there so, I mean, it's essentially a uh, NVIDIA Tegra-powered tablet with two controllers on the side. You can see I'm, I'm on my horsey there. Uh, Do those controllers separate? Or yeah, 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 yeah. So if I hit this button, oh. little controllers come off, right? And now the idea here is it's got a kickstand on it. And so when Alan and I go to the park together, which we do all the time, we oh, can set this yeah. on the picnic table, and he can take this controller, oh. and I can take this controller, and, and then, then now we're we're playing whatever little mini games uh, with it that way. And then when I get bored of Alan, because you know whatever, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's pretty boring. I just slide it back they, on here, and now so it's that a, you, yeah, like the buttons just orient the right way. Since well, notice is, that there's there's a oh one's on top one on that one's on that, oh, so that yeah you rotate that way. And then it's got a dock, so uh, you. It's got a USB-C connection on the bottom, and you dock it into a, into the dock. It's got HDMI and power. Connects up to your TV, Does and then charge? these controllers um, come off. They have, there's like you can actually just play it like this if you want. You know, does it charge the controllers? Like thing. Does that charge the controllers? Because something has to charge those. Right? Um, like how does that work? I, I think this battery runs out before these batteries. 
Okay. So, like, basically what that would allow you to so do... So it was last four hours then. So oh, meaning that the controllers will just recharge when that is being recharged? Yes. Okay, so they, you would have but to have But, like, them- if, if this is almost dead and these controllers are still have some battery life, that's good. Because then when you dock it, it can charge and you can continue playing your game for a little while. Right? Right. But then what happens... Okay, so now you're still playing a game and those mm-hmm. controllers are dying. Yeah, that's At sucks. some point. No, right? that's a bad deal. But now you go back to being on the go... You your recharge the base units re, or the yeah if 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 it's plugged in it's recharging the controllers at the and same you, time and you redock the yeah. controllers and then yeah will the controllers charge yeah. or do they just no they charge kind of hang out at no they charge right. it's right it's out of the box that's the only way they charge actually okay it's through that um the they the the Joy-Con grip that comes with it that these attach to for like when you're playing on a TV. Right. It was just like a dummy piece of plastic in the middle that these attach oh, to. Oh, so it's the same size. It's, of a- it's a little bit smaller. It's more like a normal controller. Oh, okay. But it, um, it does not have any charging capability. There's an accessory you can buy that is the exact same dummy grip with like a power cable out the bottom of it that will charge the controller separately. Yeah. But I think that's like 60 bucks or something stupid. I haven't had any issues with it yet, but we've only, we've only, I've only had it a week. And I've only played Zelda for you know four or five hours or something at this point. I can see like a heat pipe in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look, uh, if you look, since this camera over here, let me see what we got. It's kind of hard to it's see. It's really hard to see. It's got a, the light's got like a right here where this vent is. Yeah. There's on a the, fan. On the bottom edge, there's a heat pipe. You can see a copper heat pipe. Yeah, you have to spin it around. And, and there's a fan. There's a fan? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's actively cooled. I mean, it's a Tegra GPU yeah, running at a pretty, pretty high speed. Yeah, I can't really see it. It's a neat device. Um, I wouldn't buy it yet unless you really love Zelda. Because there's really nothing else to play for it yet. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, a couple of things. But f- so far for me, it's been great. My wife and kids are watching TV. Uh, I can play this. Or, you know, I'm in bed and I can play it for an hour after my wife has fallen asleep. And, you know, I don't have to worry about bothering anybody with that. So it's a neat little toy. So uh, Ken says in the chat that he played Zelda on the airplane on the way to New Orleans today. And it was totally worth it. So... It was a 90-minute flight, and the battery was about 50% when he was done, which jives with what their expectations Seems about right. were. $299 for the console when it's in stock. It's sold out everywhere. 60 bucks for the game. So there, uh, there you have it. So uh, let's see. Who's next? We got Jeremy up next. What do you got? Well, I usually leave my bitterness of Microsoft at work, but this one truly ticked me off. Okay. I'm part of the Windows Insider. And this is probably the exact same in the U.S. as it is in Canada. But our Canadian listeners, if you would like to follow my link and talk to Microsoft Tech Support, as I did twice. If you sign up for this lovely little Windows Insider newsletter. And you happen to be an enthusiast who only builds your own systems Mm -hmm. and has not bought a Surface or a laptop. You're not allowed to continue. Wait, okay. Down at the very bottom is a current devices. Scroll down just a bit, and you can see it. What's that? So there is no checkbox beside other. So if other is home-built systems are the devices that you own, you can't join their newsletter. Are you sure Like it doesn't let you complete it? I've talked to Microsoft Tech Support twice about this. Interesting. So I'm not just like, it pissed me off, but I followed what I should do and did it. And so in te- technically, I use an Asus motherboard 
So that is sort even of though advice. you hate That's Asus, not what they're asking because you were molested. I, I was, but that was back during the Via chipset days. It I mean, it's not, dark, dark it's not like time. it's it's not like it's checking anything, right? So you just pick Asus, like you know. Yeah, but that's the the point. I am an enthusiast. I don't buy pre-built systems, and I want to provide feedback to them all as them. an enthusiast. That's true. Not as someone who buys a pre-built system. Yep. And if I had, uh, because literally I went through every single thing, and the only way that I could actually technically check would be my, my motherboard. If I had a gigabyte motherboard, uh, then, yeah, I wouldn't even have that technicality. So I would love it. If you wouldn't mind clicking through and contacting Windows support to say, hey, I am an enthusiast and I'm not allowed to sign up for your Windows Insider newsletter because I'm an enthusiast. Fair enough. There you go. Rant over. Josh? Me? Yes, you. Why would I want to talk to you people? <clears throat> I, okay, next, Alan. <laughs> oh, wait. Josh, fine. Didn't yeah, even yeah, put the yeah. proper link in. I bought this, installed it this evening. I've, I've done a very minimal amount of, yeah. of benchmarking, and it's faster than anything I've seen. Okay, it's four hundred eighty gigs at one ninety nine ninety nine. One ninety nine ninety nine. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's and it's in stock in Amazon. If you use the PC per code, we'll be happy as well. But you can get a fast M.2. Uh, it says 2.6 down to what? 1.3? Writes. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be I a fast reader. Yeah. Uh, you could ha- use this as your OS drive. You could use this as your gaming drive. Yeah. Yep, which is kind of fun. Uh, load times. Ha ha ha. Down to very little. I mean, this is three to four times faster. <laughs> very, even very how technical. small is it, Josh? It's, it's so, so small, so little. It's well, like curious. one third the size of a of a of a regular dim module oh, for yeah. your main memory. It's small. There's a, a Fizon Light. E7 controller in there for those curious. Yeah. All right. Very cool. I mean, I'm not talking. It's 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 not going to be a 960 Pro. No, it's, it's not, not going to be a 960 Evo. It, it is among the top of the uh, NVMe SSDs in our charts. Yeah, it's it's up there, and it's one ninety nine. Yep, ninety nine. Yep. What is it, Josh? One ninety nine, ninety nine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. You got to you got to do third of the audience, third of the audience, <laughs> yeah. third of the yeah. audience. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Alan, what do you got? So uh, something came up earlier today, and uh, I figured, what the heck, I'll turn into a pick. So a while ago, I bought a pretty cheap large format printer. This one? Uh, that one in particular, yeah. yeah. Well, I bought the Mark I version of it, but a Canon Pro 9000, right? Okay. Um, they make a Mark II now, but it's basically the same as the Mark I. And if you can find one, I got mine off of just like Craigslist or whatever locally for like 100 bucks. Yeah. Right? They're online there for more than that. But if you look around, you'll see people selling off like the Mark I if they wanted to buy the Mark II or just sure. something else, right? But Michael Sherlock did an unboxing in his pajama pants. I, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so for, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, you know, two, three, maybe 400 bucks if you want like, you know, eBay in a box or whatever, uh, like brand new in a box. Um, 
that's still a pretty good price for something that you can print on uh what is large format or wide format? What's the si- size I can print uh, well, it to? Well, I printed, and actually the, the reason that I bring this up is because Ryan found this cool 4004 Intel CPU thing on eBay. Somebody oh, was, nice. Somebody was making a poster of these and selling them on eBay for like 50 bucks. And I was like, wait, the 4004 print is open source. So why don't I just print it out on my printer, right? So I just downloaded it. On 11 it, by 17? Printed, and th- no, that is uh, 13 by 19. So this printer, I believe, will print 14 inches wide, and it'll go longer than 19 inches? You saved inches? a lot of money for Ryan. Okay, well, I'm I mean, you know, more I just, impressed than I you, thought I was. Did you 3D print the frame? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that, frame, that frame was a pick like about six months back. Those are those really cheap. Oh, you bought them in groups? They're on Amazon yeah, for like a pack of yeah. six for like 10 but, bucks or something. Did you, did you buy those, those wafers off eBay? I Ryan? did, I did. <laughs> oh, yeah? I can't wait to see them. <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you get? Earlier today, Josh linked some wafers, some like Intel. Oh no, they were AMD wafers. Yeah, yeah, the uh, AMD ones were the cheap ones. Yeah, Mad Semi and a couple of others. One of them like was like a, a for pack like of eight. For, yeah, a pack of eight wafers for fifty yeah. bucks. Are we talking That's not new stuff? But how nineteen nineties? Yeah, like nineties. So they're like three hundred. They're six inch wafers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I bought that, and then there was uh, there was another one that was like a set of two that was like thirty bucks or something like that that yeah. I bought. And then I was like, oh, "That's kind of interesting. I wonder how much the Intel ones were." And I looked up like <laughs> I was forget, like five hundred. I forget which one it was. It was like four ninety nine. I was, was like three eighty six. Was it a three eighty six? Oh, well, yeah. I saw. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and it's not just good for like prints like that. Like I mean, you know, you could print out family photos. Like I mean, just think of like. The printer will pay for itself reasonably quickly if you're mm-hmm. printing out large prints and like putting stuff up in your house. Yeah. Right. Um, so just you know, it's handy to have something like that. Four hundred bucks. Yeah. How much really? is what's what's the ink investment? In uh, you can get a full round of ink for those for like one twenty for the actual Canon ink. Mm-hmm. If you, you find, I think on Amazon you can find it for like one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty bucks for and it's what? eight. It's what's, eight cartridges. What's that last you? I mean, I know it's an impossible question to answer, but uh, I've done. At the rate it's going, I could probably do like you're talking like full color, like darkish kind of yeah, prints like, on that like size. Like say I was printing out pictures of my daughter, you could probably get away with like fifteen or twenty on a round of ink, Oof. of that size. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, you gotta realize it's pretty big. Like that's yeah, a lot of ink you throw down on the page. You know? One hundred twenty dollars for a set of ink, fifteen. So you're talking. Eight dollars a picture. Yeah, if you were doing eight by tens on that thing, like yeah. you get easily twice as much. Sure, you know, out of it. Um, I'm just gonna grow soy ink in my backyard, maybe <laughs> soy ink. That's what I'm I think. Do. I think hey, uh, you might make a fortune off of it. Color calibration might be a pain in the butt. In that case, oh well. Anyway. All right, uh, so that's it for the show this week, guys. Thank you everybody for joining us. PCPer.com slash. Just, just PCPer.com actually is the URL to the website where all the reviews are at, all the stories, um, everything that you're supposed to be interested in if you're listening to this podcast. And, of course, PCPer.com slash podcast is the URL to get all of our back episodes of the show, the video links, the MP3 direct download links, RSS files, uh, You know, catch up on any episodes that you missed. Make sure you don't miss out on any of the future episodes. We would encourage you to do that. And, again, of course, PCPer.com slash live or slash subscribe. Uh, we'll get you to where you'll be notified when we do these live streams. And don't forget, if you're watching live or you're listening on Thursday morning, Thursday, March 9th in the afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, 
Tom Peterson will be here in the office. We're going to talk about GTX 1080 Ti as well as uh, FCAT VR testing. And we'll be giving away a GTX 1080 Ti. Oh, so yeah. Another and reason to stand while up. that's going on, Sebastian will be covering Twitch. Yeah. Because the chat's asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Sebastian will be on this week in computer hardware for me. Yep. Unless they just want to pipe it in, they can catch like an hour of the stream and just... Sure. Put that in there instead. It's totally up to them. They'll just MST 3K. Patrick up on the TV. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So we'll do that. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malmontano. Bye. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.